Hey, race fans, Hall of Famer Daryl Walter here. You know, it's time to drop the green flag on another edition of Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. So, hey, hold those belts tight one more time. Here's my buddy Hermie Sadler and Senator Bill Stanley. Boogity, boogity, boogity. Let's see what they have to say, boys and girls. I'm State Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm Leaning Right. And I'm former NASCAR driver and Fox Sports analyst, Hermie Sadler, and I'm turning left. You have joined us for another edition of Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. And we are once again powered by Pacematic. Senator, how are you? I'm doing well, man. How are you? It's good to, good to talk with you. I'm not uh, with you. I like it better when we're sitting next to each other like we were with Winsome Sears. That was that was an incredible podcast. Uh, we're going to have to really keep our A game going here because um, I've just heard from so many people who have been listening to that podcast what an amazing person our lieutenant governor is, and and they just really enjoyed it. So I was really happy to hear that so many people that are listening to our podcast are really liking it, and especially some of these guests that come on. And finally, I'm I'm bringing some top tier guests uh, to the party. So I'm happy we've been about that. we've got a lot of momentum going. I've heard more feedback. Overall feedback and positive feedback from our last two podcasts than uh, I've gotten since our first couple of, of episodes. Ronnie Shirley, of course, he's got such a, a fan following and a social media following, and I think people were curious to hear from him uh, on what's been going on with him because he's been off TV a while. And, of course, Winsome, I actually drove to Salem to your neck of the woods uh, last, the latter part of last week and actually played our podcast in the car uh, with my mom and dad. Uh, they rode with me as well as Angie and Haley to watch Naomi and her team play in the ODAC uh, conference tournament. And both my mom and my dad, both, especially my mom, she was just infatuated, eat up with Winsome Sears. I mean, just from a woman hearing another woman talk and, and the point she made and what she stands for. And uh, it really, as a as a uh, as a lifelong Virginian uh, and a female, my mom really enjoyed listening to Winston Sears talk. Yeah, it was uh, same on my side. I've gotten a lot of feedback from other politicians, people in politics, people not in politics, uh, who have come up and said that was my favorite show. A lot of people that follow all of our shows, which we're very appreciative of, I've had people say that's my favorite show so far. And so we have swung the pe- pendulum from one end to the other, from lizard lick towing to the first uh, female lieutenant governor. Uh, it was, <laughs> I mean, what's next? And I think today's show is going to be a great one as well. Uh, we, we've got one of your friends. We're going back to your Rolodex and, and picking off uh, one of your good friends. And, and I think it's going to be an exciting interview and a great interview. And I think the way that you've set it up, Hermie, is with not just uh, this person who you've known all your life, but also with his son who's involved in, in NASCAR racing, uh, that's going to make for some interesting conversation, I think. Yeah, I mean, one of my best friends in and around motorsports is Phil Parsons. Not only did I race against him for many, many years on track in the old NASCAR Bush Grand National Series days, now the Xfinity Series days, but he's now also got a son, Stefan, that is trying to break into big-time NASCAR auto racing, and it is tough to do. But those that are going to listen to this podcast, I want you to pay special attention 
uh, this weekend on the track in Darlington, South Carolina, Stefan is going to drive what I think is probably the best throwback paint scheme that I have personally seen. That's and right. that is the throwback of his dad, Phil, in the old school uh, number 55 that Phil drove. Uh, I'm good friends with Phil, so I can say this. Way back in the 30s is when Phil drove <laughs> that uh, school car for U.S. Tobacco, Johnny Hayes, and that crowd. Uh, but but I saw the throwback that Stefan had uh, done up for this weekend at Darlington, and it is, it is the best one I've seen as far as being a I mean, dead ringer for Phil's car. Uh, from you know from back in the day so you know I don't have a better friend uh, in life um, you know than Phil Parsons I'm proud to say that I've known his family we'll talk more about it on the podcast but I've known the Parsons family little known fact my college roommate my freshman year at UNC Chapel Hill with Keith was Keith Parsons uh, the son of the late great Benny Parsons who some may not know Benny Parsons and Phil Parsons are brothers, and mm. what a what a racing family, what a great family, and I've got a lot of history with the Parsons uh, family, and uh, still close to them to this day. So I look forward to hearing from Phil and Stefan, and talking about what's going on with Stefan trying to break in, and also talking about some of the some of the some of the about some of the history that I have my family has with the Parsons family. So you, let's see, so many Parsons. I'm trying to keep a list here. And you also were the drummer in the Alan Parsons Project, were you not, Hermie? I mean, I think that's we call it the, if we you're going to be involved the Phil in Parsons, Parsons Project, kind of funny uh, over the years. <laughs> but I give credit to that to our longtime producer for the Truck Series broadcast that I did on Speed and later with Fox Sports One, uh, Mark Smith. He always mentioned our in our um, conference calls we did. When he would call the roll to make sure everybody was on the call, he'd say, Hermie Sadler here, Rick Allen, Ray Dunlap, whoever was on it. And when he was trying to get a call for Phil, he'd say, Allen Parsons Project. So that was, uh, <laughs> that was pretty funny. And uh, we, I still call him that. Uh, I, actually, my nickname for, for Phil, you know, because he, he'll tell you on the podcast that I do not know how to say his name correctly. He says, in my Southern Virginia accent, I try to add an extra syllable. Feel. He's quick to say that it's one syllable. Phil. But I affectionately affectionately call him filthy. So that's what I call ah. him. Uh, I bet there's a story behind that one, huh? No, that's just, I just like calling him that. Because, mainly filthy. because I think it irritates him, which I like doing. I'm all about that. When you can uh, make fun of your friends and irritate them and make them laugh at the same time, that's the way to go. Now, let me ask you this one question, though. Back in the day when I was watching him race uh, and watching you race, he had like Farrah Fawcett rock star hair. I mean, some of the best 80s hairband hair. And uh, I was wondering maybe, did you have like one of those flowing manes like uh, Phil Parsons did back in the day? I mean, did you have to stuff a lot of hair back into the helmet? Back in the day when I... I thought the uh, the flowing locks or the mullet, whatever you want to call it, I went through all those phases, kind of like you did with your Q-tip stage. <laughs> I knew it was coming. Yeah, yeah well, no, so, the, the Q-tip stage was the 70s, and my hair didn't grow down. Like, everybody had long hair. Mine grew out. Mine was an afro. And, um, yeah, it was. Uh, it's a the, sight to see. The interesting see thing the about, about... Pictures like that. The interesting thing about Filthy is... He had the long, flowing blonde hair, and poor brother Benny 
Not so much. <laughs> he was bald even. BP had to he, – he didn't even have enough hair to do the comb over. But mm. I tell you, uh, BP, man, what a guy. And so lucky to have gotten to know him on a personal level, you know, during my college days with Keith and went to many races with him. Actually spotted for him a couple times when he was driving the green Folgers 35 car for Rick Hendrick back in the day. And uh, but what a great family. We'll get to Phil and Stefan uh, coming up in the next segment on this week's show. But let's go ahead and hear it. Uh, the leaning right moment will be we got a lot to talk about, but I know you have a sponsor mention to get in on your leaning right moment today on, on the show. So let's hear it. My leaning right moment presented by Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley is sponsored once again by Charlie's Waterfront Cafe in downtown Farm Vegas, Farmville, Virginia, right next to the Greenfront Furniture Store Warehouse. Just a, a mile or two away from the campus of beautiful Longwood University, a little more than a mile or two away from Hampton City College. This is one of the best restaurants uh, in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Whether you want good food, good fun, good music, to sit outside on a deck and listen to the roar of the Appomattox River, uh, they've got it all for you there. And uh, Tommy Graziano, the owner, is, uh, of course, my old roommate and friend. We've had him on on prior podcasts. Uh, he's uh, quite a interesting sort, but I tell you what, he's one of the best restaurateurs we have in the Commonwealth of Virginia, one of the great small business owners that we celebrate here, and the Charlie's Waterfront Cafe is the place to be if you're in Farmville. Want to get a glass of wine? Want to get a nice meal? Want to spend some time with your college-age student who's either at Longwood or Hampton Sydney? Charlie's Waterfront Cafe is the place to be. You want to buy a lot of furniture and then you really want to go next door and maybe relax a little bit with your wife who's just spent a lot of your money in your checking account, Charlie's Waterfront Cafe is the place for you. See, that was kind of short. Hey, um, before we get to your leaning right moment, you know, last week I came over to Richmond to celebrate uh, my birthday a little bit late. We got a group of friends together. Uh, my old friend and someone that I know you know as a as a lifelong Virginian, Virginia native as well, Phil Vassar, came and, yes. and played some music over in Richmond. And so I uh, came over. But one of the guests that showed up to my party, I know you got tied up uh, in session. You, you guys were in veto session and got tied up late there. So you and Senator McDougal and others were not able to attend. But Cannon Watson, who plays in a band called the Porch Gliders out of Farmville, Virginia, he actually, he and his wife Lori came over and one of the big topics of conversation was Mr. Graziano. Uh, we talked to, <laughs> he, he and Tom are lifelong friends. In fact, Lori, uh, her first job almost 30 years ago was at Charlie's Waterfront Cafe. But I just wanted you and Graziano to know that although y'all were not there at the Phil Vassar show, y'all were being talked about heavily, heavily. Oh, my. Oh, my. Well, I usually like to be at least a little bit of a filter when those stories are being told. But see, the world of Graziano is everywhere. And uh, and that's great. I mean, yeah, he's I don't think he's met anybody who's not his friend. And uh, he's an interesting character and a wonderful and guy. And I will uh, add one thing, it. and I'm glad you haven't asked me yet, so I'll get this out of the way. But there's an ongoing dialogue about a potential Senate run. Yes. 2023. Well, Virginia's own Virginia native, favorite Virginia son, Phil Vassar, 
that has a number of number one records, uh, has pledged not only his support, but his willingness to perform at any and all events that I request his services at for any such run. Wow. And that now we're talking. That might even be something that that um, you and I could potentially maybe do some some uh, some joint events and have yes. him come to play. You're talking about somebody who's popular in Virginia. I mean, that place, the Tin Pan over in Richmond, was chock-a-block sold out from head to toe uh, for the one, the only Phil Vassar. So that That's may great. be something, even if I don't run for Senate, to get together and have a party uh, between you and I somewhere and have Phil come play music for us. What an entertainer, yeah. what a guy. And he has, on the record, came in and said, you call me, Hermie, I'm in. So that's that could Chad be Chad Monday set this up. Let's get this moving. This sounds great. And not only that, of course, our intro music is from Phil Vassar. So uh, every time we uh, play this podcast, every time you listen to this podcast, the opening close is one of his number one hits. And so we're just honored to have that as a part of our podcast as well. I'm sorry I didn't make your birthday party, by the way. I heard it was a blast. We were stuck in the Senate on reconvene, and I was texting you saying that it's not looking good. We got out about 8. 30 8 15 8 30 it was a long day a lot well, of amendments, I, I mean I mean bills, this in I mean this in the most derogatory way possible we had a blast even without you not being there <laughs> just think of how much more fun you would have been if my wife and I had been there my wife drove all the way up and then sat in the hotel and did work for her company uh, Vista installations while I sat on the Senate floor so then I said hey we're, I'm going to make this really, you know, romantic. I'm going to, I'm going to show you how much I appreciate you. And so we had, uh, cause Chad, uh, our producer here is also my legislative aide and also works in the law firm. Uh, he was in the upstairs of the two bedroom uh, unit that I have there. And so I really couldn't get rid of him. So I had Chad go get my wife DoorDash. I mean, how awesome of a husband am I that he goes and gets some outback DoorDash. So, uh, I wish I, just I wish y'all could have made on the it back for that. Uh, I just had an unseemly thought of looking upstairs in the loft and seeing Chad and his speedos, but <laughs> dude, he was wearing like shorts from the '80s, you know, like the tennis shorts that Boris Becker used to wear. And it turns out, Ocean Pacific corduroys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ops, yeah. That's about like it. So that's that's how I spent my evening. Anyway, the moral of the story is: Phil Vassar says hello. He's proud to provide his music to the podcast. And whenever we need to put an event together and need his services, he's there. Well, and I'd like to get him on this podcast. You think that's possible? Oh, yeah. Let's put him on. Yeah. So So, the leaning right moment, I know you've probably got a couple things in the can you want to talk about. But big news that I see is this potential, quote unquote, leak of an opinion from the Supreme Court that has turned people around here upside down so your thoughts well uh first you know the sanctity of three divisions of our government that is the judicial branch the the executive branch and the legislative branch created by our our founding fathers ensures that we have that balance and that the sanctity of each is maintained and that we don't use one branch against the other necessarily what we have here is obviously in my mind uh, there is a great debate going on in a in a i believe it's a texas case Mississippi case regarding abortion of whether it's a matter for the states to decide or whether it can be regulated and legalized as a federal issue. 
Uh, the argument for and against uh, abortion is there. I am pro-life, uh, totally pro-life, so I would fall on the uh, side of, of life, and, and I understand people have a differing view, and, and I respect that even though I don't agree with it. But what we had right here, the Supreme Court's inner workings, its process and procedures, um, were laid bare and, quite frankly, I think violated in the worst way. What you have in, a, in, in the Supreme Court is when a case comes before them, there are nine justices— they obviously, they don't take votes, that, but they all write opinions. Some may write uh, an opinion for uh, one position. Others may write opinions against. Those are drafts. They then go back and forth, and they see who can support what draft, and ultimately that's how they call together uh, an opinion. What you had was a 1st of February draft from Sam Alito, uh, which would have struck down Roe versus Wade, which as a lawyer and a politician uh, I think is a reasonable uh, a reasonable uh, look at the Constitution and the division between federal powers and states' rights. Even Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the late Supreme Court justice, uh, stated that Roe versus Wade went too far in the sense that it struck down an unconstitutional criminal statute criminalizing someone who might have had an abortion. Uh, what she said is back then, if they had just struck down that law and not then created this new law legislating from the bench— it probably would not have created such the divide that we have in the United States today about the issue. Be that as it may, the question is, is whether this is something that can be regulated, controlled, and even prohibited by the states, or whether it's a fed, or whether it's protected under the federal constitution, which I disagree. There's nowhere in the constitution that has, in my mind, the right, you, you know, to terminate a life. Uh, you, I hear all the time people saying, it's my body, I can do what I want. Yes, yes, I, I totally agree with that but not when it comes to terminating another life that's within your body. Uh, be that as it may, some clerk, I think, some a social justice law clerk, and these are law clerks that graduate from highfalutin law schools, go in there and work for these justices. Somebody leaked that on purpose. Obviously, it's not the final decision of the court. It was a first draft in February, not marked up, not even circulated from what I can tell from the copies. I've read it. And they did it for one reason, to create this kind of national debate to coerce the Supreme Court into a position that they want and violate everything that's uh, that's sacred and, and the sanctity of the Supreme Court in doing it. So what they're, I mean, this is like a May surprise for, for Democrats. They are in the tank, outrageous inflation, uh, stagnant economy. We've now, uh, we're regressing on the GDP. We're getting close to a recession. And they pull this thing out because they're desperate. And then it becomes vitriolic, and then it becomes hatred again. And this is, again, what they trade on, is just rather than having a, a cogent debate, <clears throat> rather than letting a, a government entity, one of the three branches of government, do its job, they're trying to control the outcome. And I think it's a disgrace. I, as a lawyer for 28 years, uh, hold the judicial system in hot regard. I think it matters the most. Uh, because it's the one thing that, as a backstop is in a softball field, keeps the ball from rolling out on the field, keeps one branch from getting too much power. Uh, it keeps all things working together. And so this is a violation, in my mind, a total violation of the court process. I think it's a crime. Uh, but all we're going to see right now is that um, we're going to all turn into, if we believe in life and we're conservatives, here comes the mantra again from Democrats, you're a misogynist, you hate women, you're a racist, you know, 
Meanwhile, ignoring that millions and millions of babies have been killed since Roe. Uh, they just believe that uh, this is one of their issues. They don't want to talk about in high inflation. They don't want to talk about people not returning to the workforce or, or the reverse in our growth and in the GDP. Uh, they just want to talk about these issues that tend to divide us, and they misused the court. And so I'm angry, Hermie. I'm, I'm completely upset with how this happened. This is a political ploy done for political purposes to try to force the court into a position uh, that it must take due to politics and not because of the law and the Constitution. So I'm just beside myself. If you can't tell already, I've been talking about it for two days. We don't know what the decision is going to be in the Supreme Court. We don't know if this is going to affect what the decision is ultimately in the Supreme Court. Um, but it, it is a sad day for America when we're now delving into the process of the judicial system in order to make political points or in order to alter what that government entity does. And based on my limited knowledge of how this works, talking about the Senate seat in Virginia 2023, that could even make that seat even that much more important. If some it changes of this goes the midterms back to even. The, starts going back to the state level, is that is yeah. that correct? Absolutely correct. It, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna change. We have the midterm elections in Congress, which it was expected that uh, the Democrats were gonna get swept out of office uh, in both the House and and lose them the tie that they have, the tie majority that they have in the Senate in the United States federal government. Uh, but I think this will resonate uh, for um, past this year. It always is an issue, one way or the other. Somebody always makes it, but what they do is they, you know, they 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 take the like the the word abortion. They say never say the word abortion. What we want to say is women's health care. Well, terminating a pregnancy and terminating a life doesn't seem to be women's health care in my mind. But you know, I'm a guy, uh, and that's the same as my wife feels. Uh, Laura feels the same way. Um, you know, we had we lost our child. Um, at birth uh, years ago, a uh, beautiful, beautiful daughter. And they told her to abort the baby because the risk was that she was going to die. And she said, absolutely not. And she was born. Our child was born and fought for life. Uh, and, and I'd never seen anything, any human being fight for life so much as our, our beautiful daughter did. And we named her Grace and she passed, but, uh, and I almost lost my wife. Um, but that was my wife's decision. You know, but that's not a woman's health care issue. That's not, you know, they say choice. It's, I, 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 they seem to change everything to minimize what actually happens. And so those, but then they turn and say, if you're pro-life, Bill Stanley, uh, then you hate women. That has nothing to do with it. I love life. The sanctity of life is the most important thing. It's, it's when my dad said, you know, when you get to the end of your, of your purpose here on this good earth, the question that you're going to be asking yourself and will be asked by your creators, what did you do with the gift of life God gave you? And that is just it. It's a gift. And so uh, I don't, I think we've removed ourselves from being able to have cogent, um, reasonable conversations about this very important issue because the left, and I'm just going to say it, the left demonizes anybody who dare disagree with him on this issue. And I think it's unfortunate because we could have more conversation. You know, Alito's opinion, let's say taken on face value, doesn't make abortion illegal. It overturns Roe's principles that 
set forth that not only this is not a state issue, states can regulate after uh, the second trimester, it's a federal protected constitutional issue. What Alito's opinion basically says is, no, this is the decision for the elected officials who are elected by the people at the state level to make those determinations. So you're always going to have those states like California, New York, and the other ones that are going to legalize abortion. Right now, New York allows abortion at birth. I mean, late-term abortion at birth, you can abort a child. That's just inhumane. We've had that debate here in Virginia when Governor Northam, when there was the bill that would have said after birth you could abort a child in the governor. Uh, went on the radio and and said that yeah we'll we'll deliver the child we'll keep it comfortable and then we'll go have a conversation with the parents and if they don't want it we'll go kill it that's actually what he said which in my mind is murder um, and so we're going to have those things but there there will be states that regulate it if this is the opinion uh, regulate when under what circumstances there there will be probably states that will outlaw it but you're not going to get rid of abortion. This doesn't make abortion illegal. And I think that, again, is another argument that we're hearing that is just not true. But it leaves it to the states and the state citizens because this is a, this is a republic to decide. One thing that I will say that when you try to find this, there's nothing good about this whole thing, how it was leaked, why it was leaked, the reasons, all that. But if there's one kind of little silver lining that I hope it will get people's attention in, and that is... The fact that people will do things like this on purpose that cause all the this drama and problems and issues to try to get an end result that they want. And I bring that up because I've told people all day, every day for the last two years that a lot of the things that are going on in our government, not only at the state level, but at the federal level from Joe Biden all the way down to the issues that we're fighting right here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. There's no way that they could mess up this much stuff unless they were doing it on purpose. They, they, are, they are causing issues on purpose. They want people to be dependent on the government. They want the people to not to be able to do for themselves and, and have jobs. And, and they, want, they want to have that control over people. And to me, the simple fact that people would do something like this on purpose, leak this information at this particular time on purpose because of elections coming up and other things. I mean, people say it's far-fetched, but that's what people are doing. I mean, they are actually doing things, saying things, causing problems on purpose to so people will be dependent on government, not only here in Virginia, but at the federal level as well. It's really quite sad. Yeah, and, you know, we're the United States of, the, of America, but right now we don't feel so united. I think there's a lot that a lot of people and the government, too, uh, foments disunion. Uh, as long as you can separate people and not in, in a, separate the electorate, separate the citizenry, then that makes the government more powerful as well. Because if the government, remember, this is a government of the people, by the people, for the people. But right now... That was when we started. Ever since, the government has been trading out our freedoms and liberties in exchange for what they call security. Benjamin Franklin said a, a man who, who trades such has neither and deserves neither. But what you're seeing is the government becomes the, all, the, the, the largest power. And there's no unity. If there's no unity with the, with the electorate and the citizenry, then it can divide and conquer. Play one off the other. 
always keep that dynamic going. And then we, quite frankly, eventually, and even as Winsome Sears said, that it happened to the to the Republic of Rome, that we crumble from the inside. And once again, then government wins because government becomes the most powerful thing on earth. And quite frankly, government's aim has always been that. Even our founding fathers knew that because ultimately government doesn't want us as the citizens to see that there is any higher power than the government itself. And so they don't, you know, that's why we've taken God out of schools. That's why we've taken uh, God out of many uh, levels of of, of government uh, functionality because the government wants to be God. Ultimately, it wants no higher authority, that it controls the destiny of the people, not the other way around where the people control the destiny of the government. So uh, this story is going to be going and going and going, I think, all the way through November. And I think you're right, Herman. It's going to go right through the your 2023 election So at the state level. So uh, much more to much more to do, much more to uh, to debate, and I'm sure we're going to talk about it a lot as well, but a disappointing day in democracy, especially with the separation of powers and the three branches we have. Someone in there who took who took a job, one of the most highly sought-after legal jobs, and I'm guessing it's going to be a, a social activist law clerk, and decided to violate every tenet of what is good and right about the judicial system at the Supreme Court level to make a political point and to create a fury and a firestorm, uh, and to change, to try to change the court's determination and opinion by using public opinion or public outrage from the left. And I'm just, uh, I'm disgusted by it. So my leaning right moment brought to you by Charlie's Waterfront Cafe. It's a disappointing day in the United States of America. And it's a shame uh, that we do this. I will end also by saying on a leaning right moment, you know, to get back to state politics, we argued uh, an amendment that Governor Youngkin made to a bill which would have had the Loudoun County School Board, which has been uh, violating students' rights, in my opinion, has covered up uh, rape allegations, has created policies that have really, really affected learning and also started a revolution of parents. As you and I talked to Winsome Sears about that last time, a real revolution of parents who are now taking control of their children's education, taking more interest in it, and understanding and making the government understand that that it's the primacy of the parent to determine the education of the children, not of the government. Uh, we're seeing that uh, really have an effect. I was up a couple days ago in Loudoun County and defending Scott Smith, the father who got beaten up and arrested at the school board meeting when the school board lied and said that no sexual attack had happened to anybody in a bathroom uh, under their transgender policies. And he dared stand up against uh, the government and say that that's a lie and got taken down and, and arrested. He was charged with obstruction of justice. He was charged with uh, disorderly conduct. I have the honor of being his lawyer, uh, as well as being yours. And uh, we went up there on uh, Monday, and we were able to get the obstruction of justice charge dismissed uh, by legal argument. And then also we, we have moved to disqualify the George Soros-backed liberal anti-incarceration prosecutor uh, from prosecuting this case because there's obviously a political bias and a personal bias which has been created. We're waiting on the judge's decision. But, you know, that's how you fight back, Hermie. That's how you fight the government. Um, I'm always going to do that for the little guy. You know, we've done that in our own in our own ongoing court case there. Uh, but a good day for parents, a good day for the movement in in making sure that parents and the citizens direct what the government does, especially when they have our children. And then while we were sitting there, there was Joe Biden t- telling uh, teachers, 
uh, when the kids walk in the classroom, they're yours. They're not the parents. Unbelievable. I mean, that's from Terry McAuliffe. Terry McAuliffe got burned up and lost in an election how, for saying how, that. How, here how, our president said. How tone deaf can you be? It continues, and I think that's it because you know, arrogance, as you know, especially in sport, arrogance can turn everything around you off to where you're so stayed in your position, you're so sure about what you're going to do, you don't listen to anybody else, and you don't even listen to the reaction of what people give you uh, when you say something stupid like uh, our president said that the children belong to the t- uh, to the teachers once those doors close uh, again. You know, this is a, they call it a culture war or a culture battle. battle. I just think it's where, you know, uh, we as Americans and especially responsible Americans and parents are standing up and saying, no, 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 we have rights. We're going to take back uh, the rights that this government is trying to give, take away from us. Even uh, what the left is doing in terms of indoctrination of our children, we've allowed that to happen. I think the pandemic has woken us up to that kind of problem. I think uh, of what's going on with the indoctrination, and, and I think parents are alert, and they're staying alert. And so uh, Monday's victory, uh, again, for the Stanley Law Group, for Scott Smith, was a big one. And, uh, and, uh, and we're going to move forward. We're going we're gonna to go to trial on the, on the disorderly uh, case. We, we're going to win that. We're going to file a lawsuit against a, what they call a Title IX federal lawsuit against the Loudoun County School Board for what they did to their daughter. And we're going to hold the government accountable, and that's what we live for, and that's what we do. That's the same thing you do, Hermie, and that's why I appreciate the courage that you had in standing up and fighting the government on unlawful, what I thought, and unconstitutional overreach uh, of small businesses. So and look, the and fight continues, fights, but it takes more people to fight, and we've got to fight. These fights will continue not only through these lawsuits, your lawsuit in Loudoun County, our lawsuit here in Greensville County, but long after, uh, those battles will continue to be Fault. Now, my turning left moment is unsponsored, so it won't, won't be near as long as the leaning right moment. But before we get to that, I want to... Now, wait a minute again. I'm going to say this very quickly. Again, I, I've talked to Lee Talley, uh, father of Harry Talley, one of our great listeners. He is personally going to deliver uh, $20 bills for three, three spot sponsorships in the future for the coalition to draft Sadler for state Senate. Uh, that's coming. It's not going to be in this show, but I'm telling you, Hermie, uh, you've got three spots. So, so far, three so far, taken. this movement has no legs whatsoever. But <laughs> I do want to say that before we get to the turning left moment, that Pacematic is an entertainment company which develops gaming software that players love to play and can use their skills to win every time. Plus, these games of skill provide vital revenue to keep family-owned businesses like bars, restaurants, convenience stores, and truck stops <coughs> thriving especially, Senator, during a pandemic. And all the issues that we've got facing small businesses now, I mean, minimum wage, supply chain, cost of goods, yep. wages. I mean, just, a, just the hits keep coming to small businesses across the Commonwealth. So uh, we're thankful that we have our injunction to allow skill gains to operate and these small businesses across the Commonwealth, uh, at least for the foreseeable future. So we're we're all thankful for that. And, and, and I think we're going to have a, and this is a teaser, but on next week's podcast, we'll have some more information about the, about the court case itself. And, uh, and that way, all of our convenience stores, restaurants, truck stops, and bars that have these skill games, that the registered skill games, the 6,000 games that were registered by the ABC, will understand what's going to happen moving forward. 
and uh, and we're, we're looking forward to being able to to talk about that as well. Because my turning left moment is unsponsored. See, if you look in racing terms, if you and I carried a car, I know we we own the SS Racing Open Wheel Modified, but if we decided to go like this weekend to Darlington and run an Xfinity Series car or run a Cup car at Darlington, if we were unsponsored, we would do something we would refer to as a start and park. We didn't have the funds to run the whole race, so we would start the race and then park it as soon as possible to save money on tires and gas and engines and and the like. So my turning left moment is unsponsored, so it'll be a short it'll be a short one. But <laughs> I do want to bring everybody's attention to the fact that this coming up weekend at Darlington is Throwback Weekend. I encourage everybody to go check out the throwback paint schemes in all three divisions, truck race, Xfinity race, and cup race. Nothing like a racing weekend at Darlington, South Carolina. Was, is, and will always will be one of my favorite spots to go. I love Kerry Thorpe. He's in charge of the racetrack down there and everything that goes into throwback weekend. But I did want to take a moment and, and look back at Dover briefly. All is right now in the NASCAR world because Chase Elliott, the sport's most popular driver, got him a big win in the cup race this past Sunday at Dover. I want to congratulate Josh Berry and Dale Earnhardt Jr. at Junior Motorsports for their win in the Xfinity Series this past weekend. But what I see and what I like, Senator Stanley, in the Cup Series with this new car, the parity in the Cup Series is, is it's, it's bigger and better than I've seen it in the last probably 8 to 10 years. Uh, we've seen drivers like Ross Chastain still fighting up front for wins. It's opening up the opportunities for the little guy. We talk about the little guy in, in small business and, and fighting battles and courts and otherwise. The little guy on the racetrack in the Cup Series now has a better opportunity because of what this new generation car and things of that nature that uh, are being brought to the table. So uh, congratulations to the winners at Dover this past weekend, and I encourage everybody to check things out and throwback weekend coming up this weekend down in Darlington, South Carolina. Now, let me ask you a question because I have two questions. Okay. Number one, we're still seeing tires. This segment is unsponsored. (laughs) All right. So, this is getting ready to do the park part. We've started. Now, I'm going to do the park part. But we're still seeing tires coming off these cars. Even with one lug nut, tires coming off the cars. And then what I'm seeing is um, after that happens, they're suspending the crew chief or the tire changer for four races. Which is absolutely ridiculous. Look, I understand. Let's just be honest. You're a lawyer. Yeah. Fair to Midland attorney. Okay. Better than average, I yeah, would say. Yeah. I'll, I'll take that. All sure. Right. <laughs> Let's be honest. If a tire comes off of a car, it's bad enough if they come off on pit road, but if a tire comes off of a car running 190 miles an hour, if that tire somehow gets up in the grandstands, NASCAR as we know it is over. Hmm. Okay. If that, if that okay. tire bounces, Hits the wrong way, gets up in the stands, kills some people. NASCAR's done. I so I understand why there has to be so much attention and so much of a deterrent placed on that happening. But to your point, when it does happen, okay. So let's just say, with the in, in layman's terms, what's going on now is okay. If they lose a tire. 
they're going to suspend the Jackman and the, and the tire changer and maybe the crew chief. Basically, what they're saying is, okay, we had an accident on pit road. How we're going to fix it is by suspending the three starters on the team, and we're going to bring in three people off the bench. That's right. not going to fix the problem. So may, may make it worse. May make it worse. It's like, you know, you're bringing in three less exp- – you know, if those three people that are coming in to fix it next week, if they were the answer, they would have been in the starting lineup to begin with. Right. So my only advice – look, I understand that we have to look at worst-case scenarios. So we have to keep everybody's attention on this issue. But suspending the crew chief and the tire changer and the jack man – is not the way to fix the problem. Yeah, yeah, and I agree with you. And, you know, I don't know. It seems to be prevalent. I don't, I don't know. You know, it seems easy. It's one lug nut. Something's going on there in the in the tire change where it's not catching. That's the whole thing. It's, we didn't it's, see it a lot with five. It's impossible as we sit here today and say that the issues are 100% the responsibility of the jack man and the tire changer and the and the crew chief. It's a new process. We've got to make sure we're doing the right things in the process, but we cannot be suspending crew chiefs and tire changes and jack men for four races and bringing in more people that are, I would think, less efficient and less experienced than the ones that we're suspending. So we got to be careful about that. Uh, I totally agree. Now, the second thing, the second bone i got to pick with you, NASCAR boy, is once again though I don't understand Dover has no lights. We usually start races around noonish one o'clock. This one starts at three. They know rain's coming. They don't move it up. They got a huge crowd in the in the stands, um, and it gets rained out. I mean, I don't know. I think we got 70, 75, 76 laps in something like that, and then it gets rained out, and then it runs on a Monday at noon. When, of course, the rest of us, I'm in court. You know, you're working. Everybody's working. You may have gotten to, to watch some of it. But um, why don't they just either, especially when you don't have a course where there is, uh, they have lights for night racing. So they could have, you know, they could have waited a while and done it at night like they do in other tracks. Why don't they move these things up? I mean, what is 3 o'clock different from 1 o'clock? Or, you know, because especially the window there to get that race in, at three o'clock, the first rain comes down. It's getting dark at what seven thirty-eight. You're going into the next day anyway, and all those people up there in the stands who paid money, who, who took vacation, drove all the way to Dover. Are you going to let me uh, answer? Are disappointed. No, I was enjoying oh. listening uh, to myself talk about it. You know, I did. I did <laughs> Fox TV work for fifteen years, and the TV executives will quickly tell you that they feel like that three, four, five o'clock in the afternoon TV window provides a much bigger audience uh, for the viewers rather than a one o'clock start. And they are willing to take that chance on if they get rain, especially to your point at a place like Dover. If you're at Charlotte, no problem. You turn the lights on and go into later at night. But at Dover, there is no lights. But they are willing to take that chance on getting a bigger TV audience in that mid-afternoon block closer to the evening uh, block than starting at a one o'clock when there's other competing things on TV. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying TV drives all of that in the story. Hmm. 
Well, thanks for clearing that up. That that uh, on both issues, those things were bugging me. Even with you Sunday, being so persuasive you, as you are, you walk into the Fox offices in L.A. and tell them that they should do this, this, that, and the other. TV writes the checks. They pay the money. They control the time slots. It is their call start to finish. That's it. Corporate wins again, huh? Corporate wins again. I guess that's nothing we, the fan, can do about it. But uh, I thought it was still a great race, so uh, so it's very enjoyable. So uh, your unsponsored start and park turning left moment was pretty damn good. I, I got to hand it to you. I enjoyed it. So you would think thank maybe you if we keep, keep producing like this, we'll eventually get a sponsor. We'll see. Yeah, well, a guy like you, I mean, this should be just as easy as as a fly on fly paper. I'm struggling, you know, man. Stick right I'm there struggling. to it. Well, you've had a lot on your plate. I mean, you have your you have your daughter's base uh, softball season. I don't. I don't. That's been going great. I don't. Unlike you, um, you know, Keith Parsons, as I mentioned, Phil Parsons and Stephen coming up next. I don't have a roommate from college that I've got so much blackmail information on that I can coerce him into <laughs> sponsoring. <laughs> A segment on my podcast, so I've got to go. I got to keep beating the bushes. Mm-hmm. That's all I can do. Well, I can teach you my ways. Uh, there's still time, Hermie. We can do that together. So, I love you, brother. And uh, so, so what a what a great segment. I cannot wait to hear from Phil Parsons and his son Stefan. This is going to be wonderful, you know. And I can't wait. I think next week your your turning left moment is going to have some sponsorship and maybe some interesting news about North Wilkesboro. So, I'm just guessing, but. Uh, this has been great. I always love talking to you, man. Look, and, we want to uh, thank it's, uh, it's everybody great. for tuning in. We certainly want to thank Pacematic and I, like you, I think everybody will, and I hope they will enjoy our conversation coming up next with NASCAR legend Phil Parsons and his son Stefan, who is currently trying to break in to NASCAR. It's not easy to do. Senator? I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm leaning right. And I'm former NASCAR driver and Fox Sports analyst Hermie Sadler, And I'm turning left. Y'all enjoy this conversation with Phil and Stephen Parsons on leaning right and turning left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. New Year's resolutions are just hard to keep up with, but saving money is easy at SaveWithConrad.com. Wouldn't 2022 be easier with lower monthly payments? Get the best rate you've ever had, pay off your credit card debt, and even get the cash you need right now at SaveWithConrad.com. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to get started, and you can even skip your next two house payments at SaveWithConrad.com. Find out how much money you can save for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Hi, folks. This is Hermie Sadler. Thanks for listening to our all-new podcast, Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I hope you are enjoying the show as much as Senator Stanley and I enjoy bringing it to you. Whether you're a family traveling together or a truck driver hauling freight up and down the highway, I hope you will take the time to visit one of our Sadler Travel Plaza locations in Virginia and North Carolina. Sadler Travel Plaza locations are licensed dealer locations for pilot travel centers. And we also carry Shell Motiva petroleum products for our four-wheel friends. We pride ourselves on providing one-stop shopping for service, food, and entertainment. Our food options include Five Guys Burgers and Fries, Quiznos, Dairy Queen, Hermie Sadler's Faux Show Bar and Grill, Victory Lane Restaurant, Hunt Brothers Pizza, Dunkin' Donuts, and much, much more. Our locations include Sadler Travel Plaza in South Hill, located off I-85 at Exit 12, the Sadler Travel Plaza of Emporia, which is conveniently located on Exit 11B 
off I-95 and Sadler Travel Plaza on Highway 58 in Suffolk. We also have our North Carolina location, Sadler Travel Plaza in Dunn, North Carolina. That's exit 75 off I-95. We appreciate all of our customers. And Bill and I appreciate you listening to Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm leaning way right. And I'm former NASCAR driver Hermie Sadler, and I'm turning left. This is leaning right and turning left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacemat. This podcast is growing, getting bigger, and we're bringing in bigger people. It turns out you know some important people, and today's podcast will not disappoint. I know some very important people, but just the ones on the show today are not two of them. They're the ones that called you back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they next week, right, Hermie? Next, next week you'll have the important people on. Next Hermie, week we'll Hermie, have important people on. Hermie, this is an amazing podcast because, you know, we're watching Stefan uh, Parsons right now. We've all watched Phil since when Phil had some of the sweetest 80s hair when he was a race car driver wearing that school fire suit. I mean, he had some Bon Jovi type hair. Mm-hmm. Introduce uh, yeah. to the audience the guests we have that you've brought on today. They're so special and we can't wait to talk to them. Well, you know, we try to cover a lot of different bases on our podcast. We talk a little bit of politics. We talk a little bit of law. We talk a little bit of just about everything. But I think one thing, the true love that you and I share, Bill, uh, is racing. Absolutely. Auto racing. And this family that we've got on today, I know Phil can't wait to tell everybody just how long we've known each other, but <laughs> really have been uh, close close family friends and just some of the nicest down-to-earth people uh, that I've ever been around. When you think NASCAR and you think family names in NASCAR, of course, you think Petty, you think Waltrip, you think Earnhardt. But in that conversation is the Parsons family. Absolutely. And just so thankful to uh, be friends with Phil Parsons, his son Stephen, of course, uh, Phil's brother Benny, uh, the entire family, Keith, Kevin. Uh, the Parsons family is, is is a big, big family, and they've been so good to the Saddlers over the years. So thank you guys, Phil, you and Stephen both, for joining us on the podcast. And we can't wait to, to catch up and see what's going on with you guys and talk about uh, some of our – uh, days off, on and off the track field. We've uh, we've had some times over the years. Yeah, we certainly have. I, I appreciate you guys having having us on. But uh, this relationship goes back when to when you were a, gosh, a freshman in college. You know, that, in the olden days at Carolina. And, what? Uh, and, and Bill, you may not you may not know this, but but Herm, the reason I know Hermie from way back then is is my nephew Benny's youngest son Keith and Hermie were roommates at Carolina freshman year. So. I've literally known Hermie since he was a freshman in college. Wow. Well, you know, the good thing is that you know, Phil, is that when you're friends with Hermie Sadler, he tells you everything, whether you want to hear it or not. Um, <laughs> so I knew about that, actually. Uh, but uh, And he has such a great and colorful story in his history. Uh, but let me tell you one thing. Uh, in our conversations well before you ever agreed to come on this podcast, he would always talk about how much you meant to him, and, and even not just in racing, but in, in the uh, – in the analyst and sportscasting world, uh, how much you meant to him and how much when he left sportscasting, that was one of the things that he hated leaving. See, uh, I can be nice. Well, um, actually, he, he never, he's never said anything like that to me, Bill, ever. Actually, I'm reading never. it just like he wrote it down on this piece of paper. So, paid for and authorized by Sadler for Senate. <laughs> well, look, uh, we got a lot to catch up with with 
Uh, now, how do you say your name? I've only known you 35 years, and I seem to still struggle with it. So can you tell it's It's one syllable, and it's Phil. <laughs> now, All right, give Phil, it a shot. Hermie has always said it, Phil, yeah. two syllables. <laughs> yeah, say it. But it's say really it. just one. Do it, Okay, Kermie. Phil. How's that? Phil. <laughs> Phil. <laughs> We've been trying to teach him uh, to use his tongue more. Uh, and put it in the front of his mouth rather than the back of his mouth. Oh, he's already crushed me on a on a prior podcast. I was in the middle of a, writing something down, and I didn't. I was looking for a writing utensil, so I made a mistake and asked. I said, "Chad, you got a pen?" And we said, "Stop the podcast. He's got to go to the bathroom." <laughs> so now uh, it's a writing utensil. Yeah. Uh, we got a lot to catch up with. Well, now say say pen. I've known him so long. I understand them, Bill. Right. I understand everything That's, he's saying. I've known him so long. Say pen. 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 No, say it. Pen. There you go. See, we're working on it. Yeah. <laughs> it's hooked on phonics with Hermie Sattler and the Stephen, senator. Stephanie's looking at us like I know. bunch of old farts. This is thirty minutes of my life. I'll never get back. I um, swear, I, I'm I never wanna, doing anything my dad says ever again. I want to catch back up with you know Phil and talk about racing TV and all that. But Stephen, I uh, want to get you. Uh, in here uh, on the front end of this, and I know you're running some Xfinity Series yeah. races this year, so if you will, tell our listeners and our viewers on YouTube, by the way, exactly what's going on with you and your career right now and when and how they can see you on the track next. Yeah, so uh, we've been running running this year in the 99 car uh, with SoCal on board in the Xfinity Series, and uh, we've had some good runs. You know, we've, we've had some good speed everywhere, but as, as you know, Hermie, um, Sometimes you don't get the finishes you deserve when you run like that. So just had some bad luck, but um, got some exciting stuff in the works uh, that we're going to be able to announce here pretty soon. I'm um, going to be running Dover next weekend. So uh, really excited about that and excited about the opportunities that we're going to have uh, upcoming this year. So t- tell us the name of the sponsor again and, and who are they and what do they do? Yeah, so SoCal is a uh, is a digital marketing agency. Uh, they do digital marketing for uh, mostly car dealerships. They have probably I think 400 customers across the U.S. So I'm really thankful to have them on board. Um, Mark SoCal has has been an instrumental part of uh, of my career so far, and he's been a big supporter. And it's really an honor to be able to uh, to carry his his company uh, week in and week out. And uh, like I said, we've got some exciting stuff in the works. And, and it's really exciting to watch you race. And, and, and I mean, Stefan, a lot of times, you know, with the, the Sadler family, you see brothers, you see, you see Benny, you see Phil, they get into it at the same time. And then what you see is a lot with your family, a lot of the children, whether it be Elliot's or your children, have, have been involved in sports or are involved in sports. But racing didn't really take off with them. Stefan, how did you get to the point where you said, you know what, I want to do what dad does? Uh, I've never, to be honest with you, I've never not wanted to do it. It's ever since I can remember, it's always what I wanted to do. Um, being fortunate enough to, to grow up around, around my dad, you know, I was able to grow up around the racetrack and I just fell in love with it. You know, I don't, I don't really recall a time where I wasn't looking forward to the next time I could go to a racetrack. So, um, it's in, it's in my blood, I guess you could say I've, I've always wanted to do it and, and hope, hoping that I can uh, do it for a long time to come. You know, one of the things that people don't realize if you're outside of the sport, you don't really realize the kind of fraternity it is, even though it's competition on the racetrack and sometimes competition for sponsors and competition for rides and all that. It's a it's a tremendous community uh, of people that when the chips are down, 
you try to help each other, you support each other, you try to bring people up. And that's one of the things that that are some of my fondest memories of, you know, I wish I could have won more races. I wish I could have done this better, that better. But what I still have with me today is all the relationships, all the friendships that I have created and made through the years, not only like people with your dad and all the people with TV, but competitors and members of the media and even fans and track owners and, and, and things of that nature. Uh, it's so fulfilling, uh, a great place to, to meet people. But I want to say something, Stefan, and I know you'll take this the, the right way. You were, you were just starting to get into, I know you ran late model stuff and a lot of short track stuff, but you were just starting to get into running some bigger racetracks, running some truck series races when I was still on the road, you know, with your dad. And I always was really, was really impressed being the son or the brother or whatever of somebody with the name Parsons, there's additional microscope, you know, eyeballs that are going to be on you. And some people want to see you succeed. Some people are going to want to see you fail only because of the name that you have and all that. But one thing that I'll always remember, or, and I told your dad this, was being at the racetrack in some of the early races, we'd be there doing TV when you'd be there driving a truck. Sometimes showing up at the racetrack, not even being able to practice or having limited practice, you doing a lot of the work yourself, things of that nature. I know they were all learning experiences. But one thing I always took from you was every time you drove something, and a lot of times back in those days you were driving something different every weekend, you always, in my mind, you did two good things. People that know how to pay attention to stuff like that would see that you always elevated what you were driving that particular weekend. So by that, I mean, if you were driving XYZ truck, I always would look at what did XYZ truck do for the last four or five weeks before Stefan got in it. And you always raised the level of the performance of that truck uh, or car or whatever you might be driving and made a positive impact on the team. And not only that, I know you said you had some tough luck this year, but you didn't tear up a lot of equipment. You didn't – you're not known, in the, you know, for driving over your head or, or trying to do something your equipment wouldn't let you do. And I can't help but think eventually – and I do know from just watching what you've done from a distance, you're very passionate about making it and, and getting that opportunity that you deserve. But you can drive and you don't tear up your equipment – and ultimately, I got to believe that somebody's going to see what you're doing, how you're doing it, and really give you that opportunity to, that you deserve. But my question to you and all that is, how difficult is it to remain patient when you're looking at these opportunities, trying to get these opportunities, and you've got people that you're friends with, that you grew up with, that maybe got opportunities before you did, and you want to be happy for them, but at the same time thinking – and wanting that same opportunity. So how do you balance all that? Yeah, well, uh, first of all, I just want to say I appreciate you saying all that. It means means a lot um, coming from somebody like you, Hermie. But, you know, it, it's – you just got to trust the process. You know, I, I was – I think a lot of that I was I was fortunate enough to grow around um, in the mid-2010s, early 2010s when my dad had a uh, – had his team. Um, I was able to see um, kind of how – those underfunded type teams operate up close. Um, and those have been, uh, the kind of the type of teams that I've been running for. So I was able to see how those teams operate up close and just how a race weekend is approached and how the drivers approach it. I was able to lean on some awesome drivers like Josh Wise and Michael McDowell when I was younger. And I just kind of always stuck with me, you know, I 
it's certainly hard to stay patient, but you really do have to trust uh, the process. You know, um, it's funny back in 2017, uh, I was racing late models and got in a bad wreck down in Myrtle beach last race of the year, uh, destroyed our car, broke my foot. Like it was, it was bad. I didn't know if I was going to get to drive ever again. And, um, you know, there was, there was a lot of tough conversations that we had during that time, but, um, fortunately it's all worked out to where I've been able to run some truck and city stuff, have a solid schedule in the Xfinity series this year. So, uh, you just got to trust the process and, and trust that it's all part of God's plan. You know, I've said for a long time, if, if God's put me on this earth to drive race cars and it's going to work out some way, somehow. And, and, uh, you just kind of got to keep that faith for a lot of those times when you were, and I remember talking to your dad about that Myrtle beach race, uh, that you're, that you're speaking of, uh, I saw him firsthand while he was on the road with us working. Not only was he doing his TV job, but he was always working on something to try to give you another opportunity. So, uh, not trying to get y'all to get mushy here, but how, how important or how influential uh, has your, your dad been in this process of not only in the past, but continuing to push for these opportunities? He's been, pro- he's been without a doubt, the most important person, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough. Um, he's got a lot of connections, been able to been fortunate enough to be able to lean on a lot of those connections. And, and he's certainly, I mean, I wouldn't, wouldn't be anywhere close to where I was if it wasn't for him. You know, he's, he's done a lot for me. He's, he's, he's helped. He helps me in any way that he can. You know, he, talking to people, figuring out what's going on in the sport, um, you know, what rides may be open, what situations might come about. So, um, and just, you know, it's I'm super thankful to, to have him as a dad. I certainly got lucky. Yeah, uh, Hermie and I talk on this podcast about how much our fathers meant to us as we grew up, how much they mean to us. You, you still have your father. Of course, mine died a month after I graduated from college, but – he left me with such a legacy to live up to and also motivation to live up to what my potential is. That's got to be an amazing thing that you have, not not just the ability to have the privilege of your father there in the parson's name, um, but that it's not a burden to you. You see it as an obligation and also something to excite and incite uh, you to do better things. What I'm seeing a lot of is even if you can have the parson's name, even if you had a Sadler name, that a lot of these younger drivers, you almost have to pack your own sponsor that it seems to be more on you now to go get that sponsor to, to, to create your personality as, as all drivers did, but you've got to have that personality and get that sponsor and then come to these race teams. Are you finding it that way? Because we're seeing a large crowded field of young drivers like you. Um, that's got to make a very small space in order to be successful because you can be the best driver in the world, but if you can't lock a sponsor down and it used to be that car owners would lock the sponsors down, right? Right, Hermie? It's, it's really transitioned a lot over the years. It's not new to the last, you know, couple of years. But certainly, in most cases, and I think Phil would agree, you have to put a program together. Not It's not just a sponsor, but with the right program as far as a team and a situation that matches up with what you're trying to do. But to your point, you almost have to find a way to put yourself out there to gain that experience, get that exposure, because, you know, the, the, the teams that can really – help you and not going to take that chance on you until you've proven yourself enough to know that you can get the job done. So are you, are you finding yourself having to go out there and not just, you know, as, as Hermie says, we have another, he has another phrase for, he calls it the grip grin, making sure that we own a race team together, that our sponsors are happy that we're doing what we want, but you've got to kind of get your own sponsor, get them comfortable with you and take it to the race team. I'm seeing a lot of guys are great drivers, even like De Benedetto, but he didn't have a sponsor. 
and it wasn't the the race team that mattered. It was whether he had the sponsor. Are you finding that, Stefan, for yourself as well? Is that something that is one of those concerns, not just getting in the car and driving it right? Yeah, hundred percent. You know, like I said, if if without if it weren't for Mark SoCal and his company, I wouldn't wouldn't be where I am today. You know, it's we've been fortunate enough that they've come on board, and uh, we've had some other good partners over the years: Sean Taylor and Spring Rates, Jonathan Morrissey and, and Rich Mar Flores. You know, but it's all about um, cultivating those relationships and getting out there, networking, and bringing on new partners, and and like you said, building a program um, to where you can you do ha- you do get the opportunity to go out there and and race. Um, in the top three series and it's it's definitely tough but we've been fortunate um to be blessed with some great partners so far so it's kind of different from what phil and you hermy had to deal with usually those partners came to you or those sponsors came to you you didn't have to fight you just had to maintain them have uh, stefan have you thought about uh, a baby blue car with hermy sadler's faux show restaurant on the side that would be a major sponsor <laughs> we can Feels do that, so we can do that. Yeah. i'm thinking yeah. this we can make that happen that's a winner the winner I can, I can i have to get permission from angie but i can afford a two by three sticker on the bottom of the fuel cell uh at dover to get viewed in the unlikely and i hope it doesn't happen event that you roll over um phil i want to you know that's at least 100 grand yeah at least yeah i know look i know what everything costs trust me uh, Phil, I want to get a chance to talk to you about your career and us working together in TV and all that. But before we get to that, uh, I'll turn the table on you. Uh, how rewarding I, – I can. I said this the other day at the ball game. You know, my youngest, Naomi, is playing ball at Randolph-Macon, and I made the comment to somebody that was there that of all the things that I've ever – and I've, I've gotten a chance to do some really incredible things and had some incredible opportunities in my life, but there's nothing that I've ever done – it's been more rewarding for me than one sitting at the Dean Dome and watching Cora and also Cami cheer at the ball games, and watching my daughter get on the field and play college softball, and me just sit there and watch. I've done nothing that has brought me more joy than that. So, Field, my my question to you is: You've won at the highest level in NASCAR and done TV and done everything in between, but I'm curious watching Stefan perform on the track or get the opportunities to race on the track personally where does that satisfaction uh set in with you right up there with you Hermie. honestly it's uh i'm really proud as you mentioned my daughter stefan has a twin sister cammy and she and cora cheered together for for three years at carolina cora was a year ahead and while she was doing that you know how hard it is how involved cheerleading is same thing for stefan stefan was went to uncc and was trying to was racing at the same time, and both of them did really, really well in school. So I'm really proud of them. If they do nothing else in their life, they did a great job in school and, and worked really hard at it. But uh, I, you know, I, 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 I feel when he has bad luck, I feel I feel worse for him. I feel like you know, like anybody. I wish I I wish I could take that on for him. You know what I mean? And we know how hard this. Is, and I don't think either. You know what, what? Whether he can get in, get in something, get in a Gibbs car, junior motorsports car, whatever, and take it to that next level. We hope that's the case. We kind of feel it. That's the case. But I'm not here saying all he needs is a chance and then he'll go out and win 100 races. I'm not saying that. I just, I just, it just like it was when he first started. I said, there's two rules. I said, we're gonna, we're gonna have fun. When he started at 12 years old, running a Bandolero car. And then, and, and all I ask is for you to do your best. I don't ask you to be the best out there. I just want you to do your best. Now, some days the fun part isn't really there, 
But as far as doing your best, that, that's what he does. And that's what I really appreciate. And that, that's why I feel so much when, when he has bad luck or whatever, he has a good run going and he has bad luck because he's not getting, you know, the, the finish he deserves. And, but we know how the sport is. I mean, you know, it, it doesn't always work out like you hope it does, but, uh, but, but I think he does get a lot of, a lot out of his equipment. I think he's in, he's in a situation now where I just feel like he needs to run, if not all the races this year, most of the majority of the races, because he needs to, he needs to make, you know, a hundred pit stops. He needs to have a couple hundred restarts. So if that opportunity ever, ever arrives for him to get in something really, really top notch, then he's ready for, for all the nuances, how to make pit stops and how to do restarts and stuff like that. But, but it is, it is very gratifying to see any of your children as, as, as you talked about to do well and, and your heart hurts, I think way more than, than it did when we were racing and we had bad luck or whatever, it hurts way more seeing them go through tough times than, than it did when we did. I feel it totally. Every time Naomi steps in the batter's box in the game, I feel like I'm at the plate with her. It's like <laughs> you get to zero and two and I'm like, Oh, oh no, again. you know, it's just, it's just, it's just brutal. But um, so Phil, you know, you're still involved on, on the TV side, have a lot of racing experience watching Stefan now. Uh, in your mind, uh, how has the sport changed? Uh, you know, and, and I've been off the road really since the end of 2019. So how has the sport continued to change and evolve? What are the biggest challenges uh, that you see uh, facing NASCAR? And how, how would it affect, how is it going to affect a, a situation like Stefan's coming up in the next couple of years? Yeah. Well, you know, the biggest thing we've got this year in NASCAR is, is the next gen car. Yeah. Obviously, so much, so so much, and many resources are put behind that. So that's uh, that's a situation that is is the top of the list. Obviously, NASCAR is is Cup Series, and then on down, Cup Series is is such a huge entity. And uh, I just read where they had the they had the largest TV audience from Bristol from from Sunday night the dirt, that yeah. they've had since like 2016 or 17. So in mm-hmm. In five or six years, so you know the ratings for the Cup Series are up like 16, 17 percent. They had, I think, they said the sixth largest TV audience ever for a truck race mm-hmm. from Saturday night for the dirt race at, at Bristol. So I think things are trending in the right direction. Uh, you know how hard the sport is, but we've got so much, so many great competitors. The Truck Series is as competitive. I mean, and you and I have been around it for decades. Yeah, as competitive as it's ever been right now. The Xfinity Series is, is extremely competitive, as well as the Cup Series. We see Ross Chastain emerge now as a budding superstar and how well he's done. So maybe that next-gen car is a great equalizer that they were talking about. But it's just so important, the relationships. You know, and this got you, 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 you did so well throughout your career having great partners. I remember DeWalt having, you know, a, a partner like that. Virginia's for lovers, and I know how important that relationship was to you. And I had I had great partners as well. I had I had Skoll, nine years I drove for U.S. Tobacco Company in Skoll. But then I had Channel Lock and, and Altel and Duraloop. I had some great partners, uh, Kingsburg Charcoal. So it's about that partnerships. Stefan has that great opportunity because Mark SoCal, you know, has really taken a liking to him. He feels like there's some value in that for, for his company. And uh, we, hopefully we can perpetuate that and keep that rolling. But you know the sports just get tougher and tougher with the competition and and, and stuff, and, uh, and 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 especially the fact there's so many options for people to to watch TV or stream or whatever the case may be, and for our ratings to be on an incline, 
instead of the, in an era of declining ratings, I think is really something to say about, about NASCAR. Time to tell you about something I'm super passionate about protecting your family. Yes, this is a life insurance ad for goliathlife.com. But to me, this is really about peace of mind. Think about insurance for a second. We all get medical and auto insurance, yet we never even know if we're going to have a need for it. Let me let you in on a little secret. You need life insurance. We're all going to die. Now, as you let that reality sink in, think about what would happen if your family stopped having your income tomorrow. If you don't have a plan for that, you need to visit goliathlife.com. And I mean, right now. And just personally, I've lost two friends in their forties this past year and a half. And I don't even want to think about what their families would be going through. Had they not had life insurance, if you don't have it, get it, protect your family. And I suggest you go to goliathlife.com because they've made the process of getting affordable life insurance. Super easy. Goliath life streamlines the life insurance process by allowing you to get quotes for more than 20 carriers within minutes. And you'll pick your terms and payments to fit your budget. You pick your price. You start the online application immediately and even schedule the medical exam to come to you. And I've done it. They sent someone to my office. I skipped the phone calls, the paperwork and the crazy invasive conversations. Goliath life makes buying life insurance simple. There's no hidden fees, no upsells, no hassle. Hell, not even a phone call. Goliath life is life insurance in your hands on your time. Get multiple quick quotes right now from the comfort of your own home and begin your application in a few easy clicks right now at goliathlife.com. Hey, this is Bill Stanley, Hermes Adler sidekick on this podcast. But when I'm not in Richmond at the Capitol or doing this podcast, my real job for the past 27 years is as a trial attorney with the Stanley Law Group. Here at the Stanley Law Group, we represent our clients in every courthouse in the Commonwealth. No problem is too small for us to solve. No case is too big for us to win. Whether it's criminal charges, traffic offenses, civil disputes, litigation matters of any sort, we handle it all. We make sure we treat every client like family because they are to us. Your problem is our problem. Your success is our success because we hate to lose more than we love to win. And believe me, we win a lot. Don't believe me? Go ask Hermie. I'm his favorite lawyer. Give us a call at 540-721-6028 and let us help you. Or visit our website at www.vastanleylawgroup.com. At the Stanley Law Group, we'll make sure that we are the lawyers that you swear by and not at. Phil, you're going to think I'm being cute or trying to be funny by asking this question. There's but I no mean way it. you can be cute. Buddy. I'm taking <laughs> I mean, a look at you. That's going to be a stretch. That's going to be a stretch. <laughs> yeah. Not cute. Stefan, well, what do, you, do you have any memories of uh, – what are your memories of your dad's racing days? Uh, you know, I don't have a whole, I don't have a whole lot. You know, his his last uh, Xfinity race was was 2001. I actually I do I have like very faint memories of like um, sitting in the bus, you know, at the racetrack. Um, I do I do have a memory. So his last Xfinity race, what was in the Bush Series, uh, was the same weekend as my third birthday. It was the first Bush race at Kentucky. I I do remember having like. A, cake or something in the bus and then going outside and thinking that the scoring pylon was going to fall on us. Um, <laughs> very, uh, very, very faint memories. That's one thing I wish I wish I could have, I wish I would have been old enough or wish I would have been able to see um, him race or, or be able to remember it better. And remember that Kentucky race feel, you know, it's hard to believe now when you see races at Kentucky, but I remember those first few 
Bush Series races we ran in Kentucky, I mean, the, you couldn't get another person in the place. And I remember coming around to yeah. take the green flag, and everybody had those rally towels or terrible towels. Or, I mean, I don't remember the amount of people, but I just remember the first couple of races we went to in the Bush Grand National Series at Kentucky, just an unbelievable atmosphere and, and full grandstands from one end to the other. Yeah, it was, uh, I think, 60-some thousand people from yeah. what I remember. And, and it, it took about three hours to get out of there from what I remember yeah. after the race. And well, not that's you. Tell- that's, that, that was some of the most treacherous moments of my entire life, <laughs> especially in my TV years, was letting that clown drive us away from the racetrack, the TV compound, to get to the back to the hotel or to the airport or wherever I may be going because him and Benny – BP, love him to death. One thing I know y'all had in common is y'all would rather go backwards than sit still. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and riding with that dude out of a racetrack, talking about 60,000 people trying to leave, we're in the ditches, jumping the ditches. We would average getting shot to bird at us eight to ten times leaving a facility because of him. Wow. Well, because you you were the one in a hurry, wasn't me. You, I was trying to get you and Angie to the airport. <laughs> he, he was one night. We uh we were in Vegas, and yeah. Angie and I were flying out that night on a red eye, and I don't know whether the race ran long or whether we had green white checkers or whatever. But we got out of there, and I pretty much already told Angie time we got back to the TV compound, we may as well stay another night. There's no way we're going to make this flight because it was only maybe like an hour, hour and fifteen minutes till our flight left, and the racetrack is. 30 minutes with no traffic north of town. But he drove us in and out of there. I mean, <laughs> you can describe it ever how you want to, but my wife says, when we got to the airport, she says, as long as I live, I never ride with him again. <laughs> <laughs> she said that about you too, though, didn't she? <laughs> that was before the end. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. so but Elliot yeah. said that the biggest race was after the race, getting to the airport. Yeah, yeah. So he'd get in line and get out. Oh, of yeah. It. yeah. Yeah. Well, you, back in the day, you had everybody was racing and you had planes you know sitting at the airport and first one back to the airport first one to get in line you take off if you're 25th in line then you sit there you know at the tarmac and burn five thousand gallons worth five thousand dollars worth of fuel before you ever take mm-hmm. off that was a uh that was a thing but bill hurry hurry had a plane i, I was driving home i'm so. sure i'm sure uh, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I didn't, you, you, know. you had the earliest form of uber uh compared exactly. to mr big deal over here mr big time yeah I'm you mr. know big, you were talking big about the memories of phil parsons uh, the Winston 500, 1988. What a great race that was! You won that race again mm-hmm. with the flowing mane, and I mean, he was a big deal. <laughs> flowing I mean, mane. Oh, dude, he had like you know the Lion King kind of stuff going yeah. on. He I still mean, he got it. Like, sweet. No, no, no. He has great hair, and and Stefan, you you should thank your dad. Look, look at me and Hermie genetically. Thank you, Dad. Um, you know, if if it was the 80s again, Stefan, I know you'd have that kind of you know. That Bon Jovi kind of flow going that your dad had, and I'm sure you've seen pictures of it. But man, you were like a rocket ship in '88. I mean, it really was, and and came on the scenes. I mean, Benny had been there for a while, but what a great! I mean, he just exploded on the scene. Won the Winston 500, uh, a lot of top fives. You you were in the top ten of points that year. He really mm-hmm. rocked, and then and then you just kind of you know. I mean, I remember hearing that you had an eyesight or a vision problem, something like that, but. But, you know, you had one of the best years a racer could ever have in 1988. And, you know, and looked, I mean, everybody wanted to look like him. 
You know, that I don't was, know about that. I mean, well, Kyle, Kyle, look, Kyle Petty was trying to look like Phil Parsons back then. You know what I mean? <laughs> but his hair was too damn curly. I mean, this guy had the wings and the you know the feathered look. I mean, it was he badass. was he was he was a chick magnet. No he question was. about it. I mean, yeah. oh yeah. No oh, wonder yeah. you hung out with him, Hermie, because you got yeah. the, the second. I'll make sure Marsha doesn't watch this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, we mentioned and Phil mentioned earlier. You know, Keith Parsons and I roomed together at Carolina. My freshman year, of course, his dad was Benny Parsons, um, Phil's older brother. And what a treat it was for me as a, at that time, a go-kart racer, race fan, and getting to know the Parsons family some. And riding to the, riding to the racetrack with Benny was a, was a interesting. <laughs> he knew every back road all over every yeah. part of the southeastern part of the United States, every convenience store, every cashier's name, everything um but uh phil just want you to just take a minute if you will and and give us a few thoughts on because uh, i much like stefan and following your footsteps i know benny had to have a lot to do with you breaking in and getting opportunities the name recognition and all that but some of your memories and and thoughts of obp well i mean i'm, I'm i can't remember as far back as stefan apparently can it to three years old but <laughs> but benny started racing when i was he's 16 years he was 16 years older than me he started racing when i was five mm-hmm. years old so i don't really ever remember a time when benny wasn't racing but there was a time one one time at a place called mount clemens michigan that was a local dirt track that that benny basically started racing at and I think Benny might have won the race that night. So they stopped on the start finish line and, you know, did a trophy presentation. And then the pits were outside turn three and four. So I remember I got in the car with Benny and I'm by this time, I'm probably six years old. It was a late model. Then he started in figure eight when I was five, but the next year he went to late models and I rode around the racetrack with him. So probably three quarters of the way around a half mile dirt track. And he, he got on the throttle a little bit down the back stretch or whatever because it was completely clear. And I, from from that moment on, I was hooked. Mm-hmm. I never ever in my life wanted to do anything different than drive a race car. And that's uh, you know, I was really fortunate. Again, we talk about partners. Had great partners. I was fortunate enough to do it for over twenty years. And now I've been doing. Gosh, I've been doing TV now almost as long as I drove a race car. But people ask me, you know, which do you prefer? Do you like? Do you like racing or do you like TV? And I said, well, I grew up wanting to be a race car driver. I didn't want to grow up doing TV. But that was the path that, that Benny led, you know, that Benny went on for us. And and that was a way for, for me to stay around the sport doing TV like he did. But, you know, I just I, I, I probably knew more about Benny's career back in the early days. I, at least I would remember things more than, than he did because he was busy doing it. And I was just a race fan and just sucking up every second of it. And then, lo and behold, I got the opportunity to race against Benny, which was was like a dream come true, something that never dreamed would happen at at the cup level. And we did that for a number of years. We were teammates for a number of years, which was really, really cool. So we got to spend so much time together because because Benny had basically grew grew up in in the South, where I grew up in Detroit. He came down to – or up to Detroit when he got out of high school. He stayed – and finished high school, played ball and high school football, baseball. And then he came up to Detroit state for about 10 years and then moved back down South. But I was still only like 12 years old when he moved back down South. So every waking moment we went, you know, I would go down spend the summers with he and Connie and, and the boys and, 
and every every time we could, we would go away to races down south, wherever the case may be. But but I, I don't think there was anybody ever, and Hermie, I think you will vouch for this, anybody ever in our sport that cared any more about about the people in it, whether whether it's the competitors, the owners, the track owners, the officials, the fans, nobody cared any more about our sport than Benny. He was certainly a, an ambassador you know, to the sport, obviously was recognized by being inducted into the Hall of Fame. But, I mean, I think Benny, had he not ever driven a lap, he should have been in the Hall of Fame because of what he did when he started doing television and he did that for, for 20 years or thereabouts. So he, I have nothing but really fond memories of, of – of being around Benny and, and again that he opened so many doors even if he didn't outwardly do anything for me just just the, the fact that of his name opened so many doors I people were familiar with me because of him so I can't say enough about the path that he and, and the and the way he did that path uh to to what we were able to do for for a living well and I'm telling you right now one of the magical voices of the history of NASCAR Benny Parsons uh, the way he used to call races and and we get you excited about stuff, even a simple oh, yeah. pass at ninth, for ninth position. Um, he would talk about things that were going on behind the field, you know, in the back of the field, how important it was. He would educate you in all of that. And, Phil, you've been the same way in terms of your announcing. You have an incredible voice. Unfortunately, Hermie, you lack that. <laughs> <laughs> but in, in, in your NASCAR announcing. I'm glad you said it because you didn't make Phil say it. <laughs> Phil, excuse me. Phil. <laughs> Phil. Um, you know, I mean, but, but you have that unique voice, too, and that's what made it more of a personality there in the pits and the other things you did. But, I mean, Phil, you had that same magical voice, and, and especially we, we hear it in the ARCA and, and the truck series. I mean, just a, in a way to bring that, that person in who may be watching, may not, as my wife may be, uh, not, Laura is not as educated but loves racing nonetheless. You know, we were watching a, a telecast that you did, and, and you explained things to her where I didn't – she didn't turn to me and say, what does that mean? And you do that in a way that is, is very natural, just as Benny did. Talk to me a little bit, you two, about your post-racing career where, quite frankly, I think you even exceeded your, your triumphs and your victories on the track in terms of personality – and the people that watch racing that love your personality and love how you educate them on the sport and tell them what's going on. I mean, you know, Phil, at what point in time did you say, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. It's announcing. Same for you, Hermie. I mean, the two of you, because Hermie really talks about a lot of his announcing in his professional analyst career, and it always usually has a sentence or two with Phil Parsons' name in it. <laughs> well, I'll let I – mean, in, in my case, I, I never for once thought – Obviously, you, we make fun of my accent, but it, we, it certainly I, everybody does. I, I uh, make fun. <laughs> still do. But I <laughs> obviously Porter. never envisioned, dreamed of, thought about any kind of uh, career in television. Artie Kempner asked me to go on a whim to Kentucky to, to, to call a, an Xfinity Series race one night, kind of of the last-minute fill-in for somebody, and that kind of just started the ball rolling, and, I, and it's just one thing led to the other. From there, but how about you, Phil? I mean, did you, you know, did you always plan that, or were you trying to to uh, set yourself up for that, or did it kind of just happen? It kind of happened. I, I would do, you know, just like you were talking about when I already called you. I would do some one-off stuff, maybe back when I wasn't racing full time or whatever. You know, people would call me, "Hey, you're, if you're not doing anything this weekend, come down." Here. But it was so different then. It was, it was, it's, it's a big business now. But I think the key is that Hermie and I both just have a love for the sport, and I and, and, and the people in it. You know, kind of kind of like Benny was. I mean, I mean, I think 
it, it's really gratifying when, 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 when myself or Hermie would walk through the garage area. And I think people, people were glad to see us because they know that we, we had their backs. You know, we wanted to make sure their stories got out there. Uh, I, I didn't, I didn't go to journalism school. I, you know, I just kind of, kind of learned as I went. I, I, but, I, spent, uh, but, I spent 15 years getting speech therapy, as you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was just for me. That was just for me. To, to, to teach me how to take syllables out of people's names. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's, I think it's more love of the sport. And, and, um, and again, same situation. Benny kind of led the way. And obviously I watched almost every broadcast he ever did. And I love the way he, he, he broke it down for, for a viewer. I mean, it's, it's really easy to get too technical mm-hmm. uh, when we're talking about, about racing. And you know enough about racing, Bill. You, to, you could get too technical to where your wife wouldn't understand what's going on. Right. So that, and that's a fine line you try to you, – you don't, you don't try to dumb it down, but you try to talk about it where, where people can understand. And, and I think it's just, just maybe more coincidence than anything. I never really thought about a career in TV until late, really late in my driving career. Uh, I got. I think I would have kept on driving, but I got into a situation that I wasn't as competitive as I as I had been. And then, and ESPN had the Truck Series then, and they had talked to me because Benny was at ESPN then. They had talked to me about about maybe doing TV or whatever when I decided to quit. Well, I got to, to a situation that I wasn't wasn't as competitive as I had been, and I said, well, maybe it is time for me to do something different. So then I just flipped the switch and at the end of 2000 and decided to start doing TV full time. It's, it's been a great ride. It's been, gosh, again, I've, I've, I've done TV now almost as long as I raced within a year or two. And I can't, I couldn't have imagined back when I started doing it full time in 2001, that I would still be here in 2022, still doing it. Well, I tell you what, you're the voice of the camping world series and it makes, it makes it great to watch and listen to. Um, you know, sometimes I put, uh, one of the radio shows on and I'll listen to the race. Um, but not with the camping world series and, and my child Chandler and my wife, Laura, and we watch it and it is an exciting series and it always has been really chippy and, and exciting, but, but having you announce it and give the color and the play by play and the, and, and that excitement in the same way that, that your brother did, uh, it really does make a difference to us. And I think it does to the fans as well. Even when you're going into the short tracks, of the lower series like Arca, you know, you're, you really bring that passion even to something that, that you know, you, sometimes you got to look on the on the digital to find it. But there you are. There's your voice. It's comforting and it makes it more entertaining. That's that kind of combination. And I think in the same way that I, I've said to you, even off air, Hermie, that one of the great things about having you in the pits all those years was it was, it was like you had your next door neighbor there. You had your friend, yep. and you made it uh, not only you know understandable but friendly funny understandable for the most part well, not yeah. all. i mean there are a couple times well you turn on the, the little thing where it does the you know where it does the uh, the, the words hooked on yeah, uh-huh. captioning. yeah, yeah. closed yeah. captioning that's it you do that and it worked out but some of those words turned out a little funny but but that's the kind of personal part of racing that makes it not so plastic not so corporate it makes it where the fan feels like I may be sitting on my couch, but I feel like I'm there. Mm-hmm. And you guys both have done an amazing job, and I and I wish, you know, all the, Phil that you continue to do that, especially as we watch Stefan rise up in the ranks uh, in the uh, Hermie Sadler's Fosho car of the future, next gen, <laughs> Carolina Blue, Carolina, <laughs> Carolina Blue, Blue. Yeah. right, right. Yeah. That's selling a lot of chicken piccata over there at yeah. Fosho, but you can do it. You know, I asked Phil, I think before we came <laughs> on the air, I offered him a ride in the. SS Racing Smart Open Wheel Modified. You did? 
I did offer him a ride. And he said yes? And he said, Phil? 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 I said, I said, uh, my wife would say very, very similar to what Angie told Hermie. You're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you said, have you lost your ever-loving mind? Hey, look, I, yeah. I went, uh, in Angie's defense, she ended up coming with me to the racetrack at Motor Mile last year. Bill, we were on Bill's patio at his condo in Wintergreen, 3 o'clock in the morning. We'd had a drink or two. We were talking about suing the governor and talking about starting a race team all in one mm-hmm. setting. <laughs> and But he did talk me into – Crown Royal is an amazing thing. It makes things come true. <laughs> he did talk me into uh, – he says, you need to – you know, we need to advertise what we're doing with small business. I'm going to sponsor, you know, Chris Williams, who I know you know as well. He does, He's mm-hmm. handling yeah. the Smart Modified Tour. He says, we, I'm going to sponsor Chris's race at Motor Mile and – Hermie, I want you to drive the car, and I'm going to sponsor that too. And I'm sitting there thinking, Bill, you're drunk. But <laughs> really what I was thinking of. Some of my best ideas. I was thinking, what am <laughs> I going to tell my wife, and what is her response going to be? So I kind of dipped my toe into it. I said, Angie, you know, Bill is kind of thinking about. Mm-hmm. She said, just get to it. What is it? And I said, well, Bill wants me to drive – uh, open wheel modified in the race at motor mile and she said you're an idiot <laughs> <laughs> but after i used my charm on her like i always do it works so oh, well. oh yeah it yeah. works so well yeah, her, 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 and, some years, yeah. Yeah, her, her and Haley and naomi ended up coming to the racetrack that weekend we and i got a tip phil we had a great time and we pulled into motor mile and it felt almost like pulling into south boston in 1990 I mean, the short track, the field. Bob Bonnie was there. He's a regular on that tour. And we kind of laugh about it now. But I spent the whole weekend, raced, did all that. And Camped the out, only had a good time. The only injuries that I sustained <laughs> were four bruised ribs that I got not from racing, but from getting in and out of the car. That's right. That little window <laughs> opening. a little narrow? No, the window oh, opening. The window. The window. Oh really? Yeah. So when we how built Jimmy our, Spencer ever got in one, <laughs> it must be a new rule. That it thing was, was like eleven inches, and I was. I mean, I was. I tried a normal entry. I tried the yeah. leg first Earnhardt entry. I tried everything that I could, but every time getting in and out, like the the the, the top door, it, it was like like going over each rib, like trying to pull the meat off the bone. <laughs> and I didn't think much of it during the day because you know, you can't. You can't show that you're injuring yourself getting in and out of the car. It's not cool. So I was getting in and out. I had cameras on me and all that. Time I got to the motorhome after the race, I'm no, like, no, 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 no. The no, world is there, wrong with my side. Before you get there, they had a stop for about, what, 30, 40, 50 minutes? Yeah. Yeah. And they said, you can get out of your car. And he said, no. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't get back in it. It's too yeah, hard. Somebody dropped rear end grease on the track, and then they had to go borrow a tractor from the guy down the road and all that to get the stage dry out. And so they said, it's going to be about 45 minutes. Herman, you getting out? And I said, I don't even have an option. I mean, I know. Yeah. I mean, it would be embarrassing for me to guy. try to get in and out of there. But now, but. now in our new race team, uh, in the second car, which is the Hermie car, the 16, which is sometimes the 39 for uh, Ryan Newman. He ran in the uh, – He ran in the Richmond, yeah. We have actually a rooftop entrance, and then we have a horse <laughs> harness 
with one of those cranes so we can drop him straight down <laughs> kind of like you know when they're rescuing horses out of the california you know out of the valleys during a fire you know we yeah. just drop yeah. him in Forest pull him fires. back out yeah yeah and just kind of it's like it's like i know you think you're funny but it's like it, 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 that's not funny that's hilarious it's not funny at all <laughs> i'm telling you it's hilarious <laughs> i think it's a good story bill i think it's a thanks, great story thanks, thanks. phil thinks so it's funny do you, do you want to take the feel time? thinks it's funny do you want to take the time to ask marsha or are you just going to just go ahead and give us a, a hard note I might, I, I might, I might float that balloon when I catch her in a good mood. Yeah, Phil, that'd be I great. Yes, Stephen votes yes. I vote yes. That's two. Yes. We got a yes up here. It's three to one. Well, Stephen has been for, since he started in a late model, been trying to get me to go with him yep. to practice because he thinks he's going to go faster than me. Mm-hmm. And I said, <laughs> I don't want to make you look bad. Yeah. Here you are trying to build a you're, career. You're trying to build him up, not tear him down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me to go out there and run faster than him, what a, what a letdown that would be for him. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm a little bit hesitant to. Well, it's plenty. It's plenty of short tracks yes. around North Carolina that I'm sure you've either raced on or tested at. You know, there's Orange County, there's Caraway, there's nope. Hickory places, and so and look, we built three brand new race cars. We've got brand new engines from Doug Yates, brand new spec engines mm-hmm. in all the cars, and so all we need is Marsha to. To uh, just play along. And look, she could call you an idiot. There's no problem. Yeah. Do you bring that crane to each each time you go? Because, to, to, I mean, I, I, I might have a little trouble, too. No, but, if, I, if Hermes in a fire suit, we bring no, the crane, no, the horse crane. I want you to suffer and embarrass yourself and suffer Broken some, type of, some type of bruised rib injury just like I did because you need on. the full experience. <laughs> All right, Stefan, how about you? I know you can squeeze right through the window. We were going to make the window a little wider in the uh, Hermie car, but they really couldn't do aerodynamically that. And then so what we did was we put uh, lights in the back so he'd always have his blinker on and he'd be in the right-hand hey, lane. Hey, look. What? Uh, hang on a minute now. <laughs> I'm selling. Phil, you got to keep in mind, Sadler Stanley Racing. Stanley is the, Sadler Race. Sadler Stanley Racing. Stanley Let's get that straight. <laughs> okay. We are the most recent winners on the Smart Modified Tour. Jonathan Brown whoop, whoop. took the checkered flag at Franklin County Speedway last Sunday. He did. So this that is, is awesome. This is not some Mickey Mouse operation we're talking We've about. We've had what, three, <laughs> top, three top fives. Yep. Two, two poles, poles. A second to South Boston. Top ten. And one at Franklin County. Our worst finish was two. Well, I saw how good how good Newman ran in your yeah. car at, yeah. at Richmond. Yeah. Until yeah. something broke. Man, he yeah. ran good. His spoiler broke. Yeah. Kept us, kept us from getting the – so I'll, I'm, we led laps. I'm just saying, think about it. Think about it. And, and yeah. Stefan, if, yeah. if if Dad says no, and if you get a free Friday or Saturday, when can we do that? Can we put him in it? If he says yes, I'll still do it. He's, we, <laughs> see, there you go. No, Stefan wants to wants us to put two cars out there so he and Phil can race together. Oh, wouldn't that be great? At the same night, which is all going to be well and good yeah. until Stefan spins Phil. Wouldn't that be great? And comes back around on a caution and T-bones him in the door. Wouldn't that be great? And they get to go home and laugh, and we got two tore-up race cars. Yeah, it'd still be great. <laughs> it'd still be great. Hey, I wouldn't laugh. I wouldn't be laughing. Yeah. Well, you he know what it laugh. costs. Yeah. Well, would there be? Well, there ain't gonna be no fight on the infield like Ty Gibbs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're not gonna have that. And I know Phil Parsons would leave his helmet on. He's smart, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. No, Stephen, leave no, your helmet. We gotta on. take your helmet off. There you take go. The helmet oh, off. Wow. Well, gentlemen, old school. Gotta have your helmet off. All right, Stephen, leave your leave yours on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not leaving mine on either. Oh <laughs> man. That works. There you All go, right, so Stephen, you you'll be on track again at Dover. Um, and I, I saw your social media post 
last week. We'll, we can stay, stay tuned for some more news coming from you in the coming weeks. How can fans keep up with you? Uh, tell us your social media and if you have websites and those kind of things to uh, keep up with you. Yeah, you know, uh, on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, um, at Stephen Parsons or at Stephen underscore Parsons. And like I said, we've uh, we've got some exciting things working, and I'm looking forward to uh, to the rest of this year for sure. Awesome. Well, good luck at Dover. Um, it's been fun to follow your career, fun to watch you grow up and, and mature, and uh, I think you're doing the, doing the right things and uh, taking advantage of the opportunities when you get them. And continue doing that, and I think uh, some good things will happen for you. Appreciate you taking the time. And Phil, Phil, got, Phil, the Phil. man crush that Phil, the man crush that Hermie has for you continues, unabated. In fact, I think I it's growing a little bit. I was ready to try to honestly say something nice, no, and that is I nice. Want, you Bill, have I a man crush. One, before Hermie said something nice, I we talk about Stefan going to Dover next next week, right? Yeah, we ran Dover back in the in the nineties. I'm t- Hermie blocked me, Bill, for 50 laps. Damn. 50 laps. Hermie finished, and Hermie finished second. I finished third. He blocked me for 50 laps. What What makes it worse? But it was $25 difference in the purse. Was. Hold on, hold on. Who was the spotter? Do you remember who your spotter was that day? Uh, Keith Parsons. Keith Parsons. My oh. Nephew. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, he said. Oh. Don't let that old hag pass you. (laughs) Hermie, move over and let him go. But he didn't do it. No, he says, no way you can let that hack in the car behind you pass you. (laughs) You know, that's not the first story of it all. How do you say it? How it happened? How how did it happen? What had happened was. Is Hermie was blocking me. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't the same weekend that I tried to tear the fence down in qualifying. I hit Dover is what we refer to as a self-cleaning racetrack and they used to have the deal right there to start finish line the inside wall they would latch it to open it up so you could drive out and latch it back and i came around for qualifying got loose off turn four nailed the outside and then came down and hit the inside and then got stopped a sudden stop by that gap in the wall and it's like a can opener stopped my car Mm -hmm. i mean on a dime and it was not too good for the family area, let me just tell you. <laughs> very, very painful. But, uh, but Dover is That was a, self-cleaning at its best. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was more cleaning than needed to be done after that. Uh, Stephen, put so, your hands over your ears. We're talking like big Stephen, have you, have you raced Dover in anything before? I have. I've okay. raced Dover a couple times. Yeah. I tell you, when you're running good, there's no place more fun than Dover. And when you're when things are not going your way, is nowhere to hide. So you definitely yeah. earn your earn your money uh, there. But what I was, don't pull the Hermie. Yeah, don't pull the Hermie. <laughs> don't hit the wall twice in the same wreck. Uh, not, yeah, not try good. not to. But some of my most fond memories of the Parsons family back in those days while we were in college is going with Keith down to Benny's house during Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Connie could make the best lasagna. Benny's first wife. Oh yeah, lasagna. And you're talking about, I mean, a kid my age in college, freshman in college, and going down and having Thanksgiving dinner with the Parsons uh, family down in Ellerby uh, back in those days. And um, It's like NASCAR Santa Claus. How about the peach cobbler, Hermie? Peach cobbler. I just don't know why I could never lose any weight hanging around y'all. Um, you still going down there? <laughs> <laughs> see, can you see this? <laughs> Good thing we're not on video today. Um, uh, hey, before one. we let you go, you mentioned Keith and Kevin. Uh, what are those guys doing today? Uh, 
Phil? Yeah. Yeah, uh, Keith is teaching school now, as you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he was just named in the last week or two teacher of the year at his school mm-hmm. at Richmond uh, High School in Richmond County. Wow. And Kevin is at the, uh, the community college in Richmond County Community College, and he's like the VP of the math department there or whatever. Mm-hmm. So both of those boys doing really good. Well, I tell you, it goes without saying the Saddlers uh, think a great deal of the Parsons family and um, feel likewise uh, continued likewise. success. Uh, to you, Phil, and uh, and doing doing the TV deal, I miss seeing you guys every weekend. He does, yeah, I really do. And Stefan, pulling for you. Yep. And I hope everything goes well for you at Dover and and down the line. And let's get together again later on in the year and and do another one when, when we got some good news to talk about, some better things, and and work on some opportunities. But we'll we'll be uh, we'll be keeping up and following you. And Phil, let me know what Marsha says. I'll be I'll be interested to hear the feedback. I, I will. Every word. Every facial expression, the whole nine yards, I got to hear it all. Well, and and look, you guys have a friend in the state senate in Virginia now, so if I can give it a tax break or just kind of give you some immunity, <laughs> whatever the powers vested me in the Commonwealth can do, no, I'll do it for you. Politically, it's something I have to do, Marsha. Politically, I have politically. to do it. There it is. Yeah. There it is. We got it. <laughs> politically. Because it's the right thing to do. Thank you, guys, Thank you guys. so much. It's been, been hey, a lot of fun. Thanks for having us. And thanks for having me. Lanty and the girls, we said hello. Yes, sir. Right. Go See get them, Stefan. Uh, ladies Thank and gentlemen, what, a, what an amazing podcast again. Hermie Sadler's Rolodex delivers, and I have a brochure. I just get politicians. He gets actually people that matter, make a difference, or are doing things great. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, and what a great podcast. I'm still leaning right. And I'm Hermie Sadler. I'm turning left. This has been another edition of Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. We'll see you next week. God bless you all.